0: Oh well, Lord, we thank you for the readings thus far that you have given us. We ask now your blessing upon the reading, the hearing, and the preaching of your word. These fantastic ideas and truths that you reveal to your servant Paul by the working of your spirit, let them burn in our hearts, just as we read about those Emmaus disciples having the truth burn in theirs. We ask this in Jesus' holy and righteous name. Amen. Continuing in the book of Ephesians, if you'd like to read along, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 4 and give you a reference for that if you're using a pew Bible. Page 1040, I'm going to start reading from verse 17, and I'll read through verse 24. This I say, therefore, in testifying the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness and greediness." Paul is continuing the, with this theme of Christian separation. Separation from sinners. I'd like you to think for a moment about some of the Old Testament laws that seem rather obscure to us. The food laws. I mean, Why can't you eat pork under the Old Covenant? Why can't you do that? Why do you have to distinguish between an unclean animal and a clean animal, especially in light of the fact that God created them all. After all, those laws have been overturned. We feel free to eat pork chops today. Maybe you're going to have pork chops for lunch today. I have no idea. Maybe you had a hot dog sometime this week, and hopefully it was made out of pork. Maybe you had a sausage sandwich this week, and that probably was made out of pork. If God made these things, and God has eternal knowledge in himself, why in the Old Covenant did we have to have all of these laws of separation? Very simple. God wanted to teach his people a lesson. book of Galatians makes it very clear that the law was a tutor to us. That the law was a tutor. It brought us to Christ. All of those laws in the Old Testament, which when you read them, you realize this is not a real fun way to live. This is a meticulous God. This is a God who demands perfection in virtually every movement in the sacrifices. Those laws were to put such a burden on the people that they would realize that their sins made them unclean in His sight, that their sins made Him unable because of His holiness to relate to them as His holy people. The law brings us to Christ. When we realize, I cannot work my way into God's good graces. No matter how hard I try, no matter how careful I am with what I eat, no matter how carefully I do the ritual washings with my hands, no matter how careful I am with observing all of the holy days in their most minute aspect, I will always fall short of the glory of God. That is what the ritual ceremonies and those type of laws of separation were for the Old Covenant. They were also to be assigned to unbelievers. They were to be assigned to unbelievers. Because unbelievers, those not in covenant with God, were to realize that the Israelites, who were a small, lowly tribe, who weren't thought of that highly, in the ancient world, that they had created for themselves this wonderful society, a society based on law, a society where even the king was subject to the law, which was very unique in the ancient world. In the ancient world, almost every culture, the king or the emperor, was viewed as God himself, or in some cases, God herself, depending on the culture and the regime that was in charge. But when they went went to Israel, they would realize even your king, even your high priests, they are subject to the law. They would say yes. And then they would speak the truth to them that they themselves had not created this society, but that God had called them out of Egypt. God had saved them. He'd given them the exodus, which is a Greek word that means the road out, the way out, the exit out Those laws were to be a testimony that God was holy and that His people were holy. Paul is now here appropriating the same type of thought because we worship the same God. The only difference is is that we worship Him after the coming of Christ, after His perfect life, after His sacrificial death, which satisfied the penalty that all those Old Testament sacrifices could not do. The writer of Hebrews makes it clear that the Old Covenant sacrifices, while holy and while instituted by God, were ultimately ineffective. How do you know they were ineffective? Because they had to do them over and over and over. Think about your car. Wouldn't it be great if you were able to buy a set of tires that never wore out? Now, if you sell tires for a living, you don't want to know about those kind of tires. Or brakes. Or brakes. Be nice if brakes never wore out, of course, unless, of course, uh, people bring their car to you and you replace their brakes for them. But we want something that lasts. We want something that doesn't wear out. We want something with some staying power. The old covenant sacrifices didn't have any staying power. The animal was killed. The ritual was performed. And the Passover would return the next year and they had to replay the whole thing over again. We don't have to do that. Christ has come, Christ has risen, and now we simply await the fact that Christ will come again and usher in the completion of history, the fulfillment of all history, and the institution of the new heavens and the new earth. That's fantastic news, right? Anybody not wanting Christ to return today? I can see it in your eyes. Some of you wish he had come back two days ago. I assure you that yesterday, I wish he would have returned immediately in the middle of the Presbytery meeting. I thought this would just be a grand time for you to return, Lord. I think I could have spoke for everybody. I was talking with the Lord, and I said, I think I can speak for everybody in this room, with the possible exception of one or two, maybe, that if you came back right now, none of us would complain. Not a single soul would would moan. We would all shout for joy. But um, he didn't come back yesterday. And the meeting kept going. And going. And going. So how do we live? We don't have these animal sacrifices to separate us. We have no physical type of garb that we have to wear. Sometimes you see cults, they wear strange clothes. They just weird. Let's just use the word right. They just weird. They were uniforms. Do you remember that cult in the late 90s who believed that the Hellbot Comet or something like that was going to come around? And they all killed themselves. They all dressed up almost as if they were, I hate to say this, like they were Star Trek characters. Uh, Male and female, they all had the same kind of haircut, and they had the same kind of sneakers. That's a distinguishing mark of cults. You dress the same, you think the same, you say the same things, and guess what? You drink the same Kool-Aid at the end of the day. We don't have that. You're all dressed similarly, but very differently. I have a tie on, you don't have a tie on, I don't see any ties on the ladies. Okay? Ladies won't have hats on. Hopefully none of the guys are wearing high heels. Unless they're cowboy boots, and it just happens to be, you know, high boots. Or logging working boots. Those are allowed to be high. Hmm? I don't think any of the men are carrying handbags. Maybe a backpack, not a handbag. Here's how the way we live our lives. The way we live our lives. We are called in passages like this to be completely and utterly separate in the way we think, in the way we feel, in the way we act amongst unbelievers. And that is conspicuously lacking in the American church today. The cold, hard reality is that, and I want you to think about your unbelieving friends right now, your unbelieving family, the ones that you are almost certain of, that if they were to die, you would never see them again because of their lack of faith. I want you to think about them hard for a moment. And then examine your own behavior, your own words, and ask yourself, is there a distinctive and qualitative difference? Is there such a difference between my life and theirs that they can see it and realize that I have something that they do not? Would you like to reach those people? I'd love to reach them. And the first wave of ammo that we have is our character, who we are, how we act, how we speak, how we treat people, how we treat, the, how we treat our loved ones. Why do you think later on in the, in the, in the book... Paul is going to start talking to husbands and wives. And by the way, he gives a really long list of husbands. The wife has a really short list. Children have an even shorter list. The man in the house, he got a big long list. Long list. Full paragraph. He's gonna get into that later. Because in the ancient world the family was important, but in some respects it wasn't. You can sell your daughter. You need some extra money. She's just a daughter. Sell her. Sell it to the temple of Diana. This is written to Ephesus. Sell it to the Temple of Diana. It'd be fantastic. We get some money. Uh, she can have this um, debauched but spiritual service to Diana. And uh, everything will be good. We can pay the rent this week. Christians were to be completely different. Remember, the Christian church was formed from a ragtag group. There were some rich people in it. Were the first people that saw Christ rise from the dead? Let's be honest; they were women. Listen, you want to talk about true feminism? You want to talk about true woman's liberation, godly woman's liberation? There you have it. At the tomb, God in His sovereignty from all eternity, predestined and ordained that women were the first to see the risen Christ. Now let's go a little deeper. Who was the first woman to see him? Mary Magdalene, we're in mixed and pleasant company here. We don't want to discuss her former way of life, do we? That's how God works. That's not how myths are written. If this was a myth, you would have Peter boldly going up to the the, the tomb and pushing the stone away with his Herculean strength and saying, Come forth, Lord. That's how ancient myths are written. You don't have former prostitutes that were demon-possessed show up first. That's not how you get the message across. Unless, of course, that's actually how it happened. See, God takes... Someone who had been passed from man to man for a long time. Someone who was possessed of multiple demons, and he radically changes her life to the point where she is now considered uh, almost a household world. You mentioned that name. Everybody knows that name. Everybody knows that name. She has a privileged place in history. Not because of who she was, but despite who she was and because of what Christ did for her. Her life changed. People saw it and like, isn't that her? That's her, right? Yeah. She, She looks a lot different now. She sounds a lot different. And she's following that rabbi around. Maybe, just maybe, he's got something. Let's go listen to him tonight. That's how it worked. And that's why they nailed him to a cross, because the crowds kept getting bigger and bigger and larger and larger. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees could not not win the debate. And the crowds, it's simple mathematics. The crowds went to Jesus. They got jealous. They took him to the Romans and they killed him. Our lives are supposed to be so changed and so radically different from those around us that people think we're weird. Are you willing to make that choice? Are you willing to stand apart from the crowd? Not to draw attention to yourself. Anybody can do that. To show up to a formal wedding wearing something goofy. Goofy or show up to a backyard barbecue wearing a tux and tails, you'll stand out from the crowd and they'll wonder if you're nuts. Are you willing to stand apart from the crowd so that God can be glorified? So that people can see God in your life? So that those unbelieving friends and family of yours, who I know that you love, the ones who right now are walking to perdition day after day, step by step, They need, they desperately need to see a difference in you. Because if they don't, then they won't want to come here and hear the Word. And if they don't hear the Word, they can't get saved. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. If they don't see a distinctive difference in us, then when you say, you know what? Okay, you you don't want to come... Uh, Go to the net and you can find some sermons online. Yes, I know I'm a little bit behind in uploading them, but there's still some there. There's thousands. That don't have to even listen to me. Send them to Charles Stanley. Send them to Alistair Begg. I don't care if they listen to my sermons. Just get them to sermon audio and just say, just start listening. And Just pick any of them. They won't do it. I say, why? Why am I going to waste a half hour of my time? I don't see much difference between you and me. You go to church one hour a week. That's it. You curse a little less than I do. Okay, yeah, I get drunk, you don't get drunk. You know, big deal. I know plenty of people who don't go to ch- church and don't get drunk. And their lives are just fine. They have to be willing to see a difference. That's why Paul says this. I testify in the Lord you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. We have to put this in the context of ancient Ephesus. You think our country is bad? You think we live in a cesspool? You're right, we do. We do. Guess what? We've created it. You know who's, you know who's at fault? I am. You are. Because we tolerated it. Because we enjoyed it. Because we like to go along for the ride. Because we like our secret sins. Because we're not willing to no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Ancient Ephesus. The United States of America has nothing on ancient Ephesus when it comes to dirty politics, black magic, and the like. Nothing. The ancient world was very, very different than the world in which we live. The world in which we live actually has serious ethical standards, even though it seems as if it doesn't. You take people who we probably disagree with on certain issues. If you listen to them, you realize, okay, they have reasons behind the crazy ideas that they believe. And the ancient world, in ancient Rome, all that really mattered... Was that you paid your taxes and you burnt incense once a year to Caesar. After that, you didn't do anything you want. Do you know how ancient Christians, this ragtag group of ex prostitutes, fishermen, murderers, do you know how they overthrew the Roman Empire? Listen, they didn't form pact committees. They didn't get their guys elected to office because, hey, you know, you can't get a guy elected to be emperor. It just doesn't work that way. For 300 years, they suffered. For 300 years, they were willing to not walk as the rest of the Gentiles walked. So instead of screaming about the abortion industry, which is nothing more than a murder machine, you have to hear me on that. You read your New Testament all the way through, you won't find any mention of it. And you can say, well, that's you know, they didn't have machines back then. No, they didn't. Here's how they took care of unwanted children in the ancient War Roman world. They just threw them away. Just threw them away. Take them to the dump outside of the city and put them on the heap. Listen, even the most liberal person that you know in the United States would find that to be pretty disgusting. <laughs> because the child's already born now. You can't, just, you can't just throw it out. You read stories about that in the news, and everybody, liberal, conservative, says, "Oh, what on earth is that person thinking? No big deal in Ephesus. No big deal in Rome. Every day. You know what the Christians did? They didn't scream about it. They didn't do it. And then they went further. As they were able, they started to go to the dump and take the children into their own homes. Since they were adopted by God, since they had been saved by God, they went and rescued. I'm talking about Operation Rescue. They didn't carry signs. They just went and got them and brought them into their own home. That upset the Romans so much. It's like, hey, let's, let's have some fun in that Colosseum. That was entertainment. They didn't have Monday Night Football. They didn't have the Stanley Cup Finals. They didn't have Wimbledon. They didn't pick any, any, any entertainment you like. They didn't have the Super Bowl. Super Bowl was Christians and Lions in the Coliseum. After a while, the Christians, they didn't, they didn't, they said, we're not going to have fun here. You're going to run away from a lion? How far are you going to go? He's going to catch you. So, you pay your money. You're a pagan family. You pay your money. You go to the Coliseum. Hey, let's go see some Christians chewed up today. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. It's actually our next door neighbors. We just took their house, man. <laughs> Good job. And um, they don't run, they kneel down and they pray. They kneel down and they pray. And they, if they're given a chance to speak, they forgive those who have brought them there. Uh, I want my money back. I didn't see any action there. I went to go see the Super Bowl, and I got badminton. It's a big difference between Super Bowl and badminton. Big difference. One's violent. I suppose you can get violent in badminton, but they seem like they're pretty mellow people to me. After a while, I was like, these Christians aren't even any fun. They won't even run. That's how different they were willing to be. Do you know any Christians in your life, your pastor, or your elders included, who could actually do that today? <laughs> I only know a couple. And I'm not putting anybody down here. There ain't none of them in this room, myself included. Paul's saying you have to go all the way. You in or you out. Are you going to do it or not? Paul would be the type of guy to say, come in or go out, but you know, don't go with one foot in, in two different buildings. Because these Gentiles walk this way in the futility of their minds. They can't think. Their understanding is darkened. They don't understand what's going on. Why? Because they are alienated from the life of God. Now earlier in chapter 2, Paul makes this beautiful statement that we Gentile Christians are no longer aliens to the covenants and the commonwealth of Israel. A Gentile in ancient Israel was an ill... Listen to me carefully. A Gentile in ancient Israel was an illegal alien. He wasn't an undocumented worker. He was an illegal alien. He wasn't allowed in the building. There was a place in the temple where the Gentiles could go and pray. The court of the Gentiles. In case you're wondering, that's where the Jewish money changers set up shop. And that's where Jesus threw the money changers out. The money changers weren't in the Holy of Holies. Jews could come and go into the temple as the law prescribed. The money changers said, you know what, forget about these Gentile pigs. Forget about these Gentile dogs. They're aliens. They're disgusting, uncircumcised dogs. We're just going to take up shop right here, right outside, right outside of the temple in their court. Christ went ballistic when he saw that. Threw them out. It's the only time you see Christ getting violent. He does it twice. At the beginning of his ministry and right before they nail him to the cross. Throws them out and says, he quotes scripture, My house is to be a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. That's the second time is when he really got the authorities' attention. Because now he's messing with everybody. He's been humiliating the Pharisees. Now he's messing with the money. (laughs) You start messing with the money, that's when you die. You lose a debate. The Sadducees would have said, we don't really care if you Pharisees are losing debates. We're not stupid enough to go after the guy. We've got the temple treasury. He started messing around with that. That's that's when Rome got involved, because now now their schemes, now their little mafia-like schemes were being run out of town. The Old Testament... Condemns ancient Israel with these harsh, many harsh words, but the one that's always stick out in my mind is the Lord says, My name, my name is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles because of you. We can say the same thing about the Christian church, just change a couple of words. God's name is blasphemed, God's name is looked down upon. Christian religion is looked down upon because of the church. Because of us. You think about everything that God's done for you. No matter how poor you are today, no matter how many bills you have, you have clothes on your back, you have a house. And even if all of those things were taken away, you have a place in the new heavens and the new earth. A Cadillac in a mansion can't replace a seat at the table of the Lord. These Gentiles have ignorance in them because of the blindness of their heart. Our hearts are no longer blind. You can see the truth. You can hear the truth. You can read the Word slowly and begin to teach yourself because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and He will teach you. In the end of it, these Gentiles have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Do you know any professing Christians who are greedy? I've met one or two. They try and keep it to themselves. You don't usually raise your hand. Hey, I'm greedy. How do you think greediness shows up in your average Christian church? It's a rhetorical question. You don't have to start screaming back to me. If you want to, it's not against the rules. You're allowed to. Just, you know, once or twice a month, be good. Just a little reaction. Now, you know I never talk about money. Here's how Christians show they're greedy. When that offering plate comes by. It just goes by. It just goes by. Do you realize that if Christians actually gave, and Christians give more than non-Christians, don't get me wrong, but if we actually gave according to the Bible's principles, guess what? Um, we wouldn't really have to complain too much about our sewer of a culture. Because we be we, we'd be able to say, don't worry about you not wanting to have your baby. We've got this place where you can come, you can stay for nine months, free of charge. And then, and then once the baby's born, you can leave. Free medical care. You don't need Obamacare here, you got Christian care. we got all the money in the world. You can leave, and and we'll find a good, safe home for your baby. You don't have to worry about what your kids are being taught in school because we'd have enough money to build palaces for schools. Don't have to worry about welfare because we'd have enough money to help people who truly were in need. That's how Christians show that they're greedy. Now, as for uncleanness and lewdness, well, we don't have to really get into that too much, do we? At Presbytery yesterday, we had a, a special presentation. Those are always interesting. From a ministry called Harvest, Harvest USA, almost at Harvest International. Now it's a ministry that talks with, uh, you know, about pornography and things of that nature. And then, and the guy got up there and was talking about you know, men of authority who have ruined their lives. And all you have to do is start reading the paper, go home, and tomorrow, well today, just get on the internet and just type in. Fallen mega pastors. Fallen mega church pastors. Fallen mega church pastors. Four words, three if you hyphen the mega church. You'll start getting hits. And guess what? It's going to be the same tale. He found another woman. He hid the money. He abused drugs. He abused alcohol. He did all four got away with it for a while. And I'm not talking about heretics here. I'm not talking about heretics. I'm talking about men who preached the gospel and fell prey to uncleanness, greediness, and lewdness. And listen, when that occurs, when men like that fall, the world notices. And they associate you with them. Because after all, he's saying the same thing on TV that you said to me last week. And wow, he really ran his life into the ground. So I'm not going to have anything to do with this. I'm going to run my life into the ground and not be condemned. We've got to be different. You're already different. You're God's holy people. Just act like it this week. For one week, I challenge you, be completely willing to be different than all of your unsaved neighbors. Come Saturday night, see if you feel a little different. I'm not going to say it's going to be fun. See if you feel a little different. Lord, we ask that you give us the grace to no longer walk as the rest of the world walks, but we would walk in the light of the truth of your word and be willing to not only take the blessings that come with that, but be willing to suffer the persecutions of the ungodly because of it. Not begrudgingly, but with joy. We ask this in your name. Amen. Now please stand with me if you are able and let us sing a hymn to the Lord. Grace, greater